And welcome back to another episode of Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. And no, we are not in Mobile. But I would be remiss if I did not talk about just our entire reflection on the show in its entirety. Uh, uh, just a fantastic trip, man. Everything that Tim Nagy putting together this event, the talent that he has collected, and everything that has gone on with this event. But Jonah, how's everything going, man? Everything's going great, man. You know, I already missed Mobile. I already missed, yeah. you know, having, you know, doing the podcast with you in that room, man. It's just, it's just see, talking to those players up close and personal, getting to know their stories, getting to know their why and why they play the game. Man, it's, Mobile's always my favorite, you know, part of the year. And especially during this draft process, because of how much personal time you get with these prospects and, you know, getting to go on the field for practice and, you know, getting to see all these guys one last time in pads. There's nothing better than that. But, you know, we're moving on the draft process. That's how it is. We got the combine ready to go next month. Yeah, and that's the next thing in this process. And everybody likes to say, what's your favorite part of the pre-draft process? And I really don't have a favorite part. Of course, I love the Senior Bowl, but I just love everything that goes into it from, you know, the Senior Bowl to the combine, how these guys test, just getting to know them up close and personal. Of course, that that's really our last time really talking to them as far as getting to know them until the combine. But, just talk about what was one of your favorite experiences as far as it can be a player that you talked to or something that happened in Mobile. Man, there are just so many draws. I guess one of my favorite things about Mobile this year was the amount of small school players who played in this game and how they rose to the occasion. Watching guys from Lenore Ryan compete with guys from Clemson and LSU. Watching a guy from St. John's, Minnesota compete with guys from Alabama and Georgia. I mean, you're talking about small school Division two, Division three players playing at the highest level possible in college football and absolutely dominating one-on-one reps. You can't get that anywhere else than Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And to me, there's just nothing better than that. I think that was one of the best experiences I had this year. I definitely agree with you there. And that's something we talked about on the pre-show and that I just wanted to see how these small school guys were going to adjust to the speed of the game. And I think every single one of them checked the box that we were looking for as far as how well did they stack up against these guys. And Ben Barch from Minnesota, a guy you touched on briefly, just stymieing the hands of uh, Terrell Lewis, Anthony Jennings, all these guys that he was going against. I think that was one of the biggest surprises of the week for me. And I expected him to stay afloat. But I, I didn't expect him to stand out as much as he did. And a guy that we both love, and Jeremy Chin, the guy, he definitely looked the part. Every bit of 6'3", 215 pounds plus. I believe he measured it in a 219 or 220, somewhere in that range. So kudos to him. Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan, another guy that we talked about in this podcast a lot, who I thought was outside of Javon Kinlaw. I thought he probably was the best defensive prospect down in Mobile as far as performance. And that just goes to show you that even though these guys are small, they come from a smaller schools. You always want to see how they're able to stack up against the competition. And I thought every single one of them aced the test with flying colors. So kudos to all those guys. It was really fantastic seeing that. But let's talk about some of these guys that impressed us the most. And I want us to do three each, and then we'll get into our disappointments later on as far as a name that we thought underwhelmed a bit. So I'll go ahead and let you start this thing off. Who was the guy that really caught your eye the most? Man, and we talked about him just now. Kyle Duggar, Lenore Ryan safety. You're talking about a player who I don't think – I don't think there was a player in Mobile who made as much money in this one week than Kyle Duggar. You talk about Lenore Ryan, Division Three coming up, you know, playing against guys of Alabama and Clemson one-on-one reps. He had a rep against Jared Pinkney, 
one of the top tight ends in his class from Vanderbilt, and where he just closed the window so quickly, intercepted the pass. This is what the talent he, he's going to bring to the table. You know, six foot one, 217 pounds, big bodied, strong safety. You could play man coverage down the box, a really versatile player with a lot of stopping power and playmaking ability in the back end. I'm just a big fan of Kyle Duggar. And after this week, with the way he showed in coverage, I don't think he gets out of the top 60. I mean, he's looking at a guy with his value and run support and his ability to play in the back end, whether it is deep safety. We we saw that in practice, you know, first, second practice. He was playing just straight up free safety. His ability to play special teams. And his ability to obviously play man coverage down the box. I just don't see how he, in this shallow safety class, he could very well be the third safety off the board after Delpit and McKinney. It would not surprise me at all. And it all stems from the performance he had this week. So do you remember about a month ago when I gave you an assignment for homework talking about Oh, him? it was longer than that, my friend. <laughs> it was like three months ago. Dude, I remember that. That was one of their very first podcast episodes. You told me, Jonah, your homework is to watch this Lenore Ryan safety. No one's on him yet, but he's going to be one of the best safeties in this draft. I did not believe you at first, but then I turned on the tape. It's exactly what he showed in Mobile. A big, physically imposing safety with a lot of coverage potential. Definitely, man. And, you know, we both have a great eye for talent as far as who we're looking at, what the, what are some of the values that we're looking for and how they stand out. And, I mean, Duggar was a guy. He was a no-brainer to me. And even though it's a D- Division two level of con- or con- competition, I should say, he stuck out exactly how you want to see. And that's something with these small school prospects, man. You want them to dominate the competition just because they're playing against a lower level. But if I'm just turning on the tape and I'm looking at a game of Lenore Ryan versus whoever without having any prior knowledge of who Kyle Duggar is, that person should be able to stick out no matter what if I'm just looking at a random game. So kudos to Kyle Duggar. I thought he was fantastic in Mobile as well. Everybody knows how I feel about him. And I, I'm right there with you. I think he 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 put, he positioned himself to be a top 60 pick, in my opinion. And I'm so happy about that just because I've been on this hype train for a while. I've been the conductor of this thing. And I would have been so mad if he would have made me look bad. But he did not. He made, me, he made me look very good, and I'm very happy about that. But one guy that did stick out to me was Josh Uche. And I know this is a guy that you have been harping on for a long time, but we just didn't know exactly where to play him. And Michigan, they did experiment with him as far as playing him at edge rusher. He even played a little bit of wheel linebacker as well. But I think the most surprising thing to me about Uche is just how fluid he was in coverage. I knew he was a good athlete, but I didn't know he was athletic as what he was. And, you know, he's going out there running with running backs and all these tight ends, and he's running step for step with them in coverage. So that definitely was a big surprise to me. Yeah, and it was already impressive that he was just dominating those one-on-one pass rush drills with his explosion and speed off the edge. But it's it's impressive that he did that, but we already knew he did that at Michigan. We kind of expected him to kind of blow by these offensive tackles with his foot quickness. What we needed him to see or to show at six foot one, 245 pounds, was that he can play some off-ball linebacker as well and move in coverage. That, to me, was the most impressive thing Josh Uche did in Mobile this week. Not the pass rushing, but the pass coverage. The fact that he showed that in his arsenal is going to be is, is going to mean so much for his draft stock now because now he's not viewed just as a pass rush specialist only. He can legit be a three down defender, whether that's become a Sam linebacker, a Will linebacker on first second down, and then coming down and rushing on third. That's going to mean so much for his potential. I think teams are going to view him 
very similar to guys we've seen in years past, whether it's TJ Watts, Hassan Reddicks. These guys were viewed as early down players, possibly off ball, and potentially coming down third down and you know putting their hand in the dirt. Uche made a lot of money this week, not just as a pass rusher, but with his pass coverage drills as well. I mean, we saw him, you know, covering Bryson Hopkins one on one. Bryson Hopkins to me is the most athletic tight end in this draft. Without question. Josh Uche on him. And Josh Uche does not have a lot of coverage experience in Michigan. You talked about it. This is a guy who's been primarily an edge rusher, primarily almost a defensive end for Michigan. And put, to put him at outside linebacker and put him in man coverage, put him through the ringer against this good tight end class, all week in Mobile, and, he, and him for to answer that bell, that means so much for his draft. Like, I would be surprised if he falls out of day two at this point. So would you be comfortable taking him in the second round? Do you think that's a fair range for him? Absolutely. If if I if I'm running a three four you know scheme to where I can you know possibly put him off ball and just, you know rush him off the edge every now and then, man, you could really utilize someone with his skill set. I don't think he's going to be a four three defensive end. I think some of the four three teams will be more as a possibly a will linebacker, possibly even a Sam. But I, I just don't see how he's a four three defensive end. But if you're running a three four scheme or even a multiple front, I think Uche makes a lot of sense because of how many you know avenues he can really provide for your defense. With what he showed, it would not surprise me if somebody tries him at will linebacker in a 4-3. That would not surprise me one bit. And I'll tell you why. And you already said it with how he covered Bryson Hopkins. That rep was by far one of the most impressive of the week that I saw. Just because I I was not expecting Uche to be that fluid in coverage. And I, I watched this film. I watched a few games, but he's primarily playing defensive end. And he they experimented with him a little bit at Will Linebacker, but it wasn't a whole bunch. He's maybe played like 30 to 40 snaps total at Will Linebacker. So just seeing him go out there and be so fluid, and it, it just looks so effortless. That's what was so impressive to me about it. And we both know how athletic Bryson Hopkins is. And you already said that he's one of the most athletic tight ends or probably the most athletic tight end in this class. And, Hopkins was trying his best to break loose from him, and he had some really nice sticks at the top of the route. But Uche was right there side by side with him, man. So that was really, really impressive. And what's crazy to me is is that with all these good linebackers and coverage we saw throughout the week, I think Uche might have been the best coverage linebacker we saw in Mobile. Yeah, Even better than Akeem Davis-Gaither, better than Cameron Brown, better than Davion Taylor. Guys who have played off-ball linebacker, guys who have played in man coverage. Uche goes from pass rusher to coverage linebacker in one week and looks better than them all. And I think that's going to mean so much for his draft stock in terms of his untapped potential at that spot. I'm 100% with you. A 4-3 team looking at him as a will linebacker, that makes a lot of sense in that second, third round range. Definitely, man. I can't wait to see where he goes just because I think he could be an ultimate chess piece in that sub-package linebacker that you use off of the edge on third down and passing situations as well. So he definitely has a role on the next level. But I want to move on to your second guy. Who was the next person that caught your eye the most? Man, there are so many players. and I feel bad taking your guy, but Dayton tied in Adam Troutman. Yes, yeah, my guy, and man. <laughs> I, I, I know you have a lot to touch on him because you did a great interview with him as well. But Adam Troutman, this is a guy, you know, former quarterback, and he's kind of still learning the position. But, you know, we're talking about among the staff, who are some of the big winners this week? And I talk about Adam Troutman. I think he might come out this week as the top tight end in this NFL draft. And I don't think it's far-fetched to say that. A former quarterback who's increased his touchdown production each year has been at Dayton. He had that four-touchdown game against Jacksonville we both watched that he absolutely just dominated. 
talk about his red zone value as a jump ball artist. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's just really not anything he can't do that he hasn't shown. Whether it's become a you know inline blocker, is a complete guy, a wide tight end, going and running routes. He ran some of the best routes of any tight end this week, and in his hands, ability to you know catch it outside his frame and outside his body with natural strong hands. Adam Troutman to me is a complete tight end. I think he's the most complete tight end in this class. Look at his physical profile, his size, his traits. He's going to run a good time in the four. He's going to jump well. I just think Adam Troutman, when you look at his untapped potential from him moving from quarterback and only being really young, only three or four years of tight end years on his resume, with that untapped potential and his traits and talent, I think Adam Troutman to me is the one tight end I'm willing to bank on in this draft class. And it's not a great tight end class, but if there's one guy I'm willing to you know, stake my investment on, it's Adam Troutman. Because I think what he showed at Mobile is that the competition's not too big for him. And there's still a lot of room for him to grow. And with his athletic potential and his untapped upside, I'm willing to take that risk. So I actually have an article coming out about this tomorrow where, and I told you about this when we were in the hotel room together, where I talked to a couple of NFL scouts and who was the most impressive player that they weren't expecting coming out of Mobile. And remember, I was telling you about Troutman. So he he told he told me he's everything that Dallas Goddard was coming out of coming out yep. of South Dakota State. And I completely agree. Same size, same type of fluidity. But he said he he has even more upside as a blocker. And I 110 percent, 110 percent agree with that. So and Goddard went into what second round? He went like 49 yep. or 50. He but jumped. The they jumped the Cowboys for him, right? Yeah. He was like 49. So I think Absolutely. Troutman maybe not top 50. Maybe he could go like. Uh, like top 60 or 70 I think that's a fair range for him we talk about this really isn't a top heavy a tight end class as far as that headliner guy like we saw last year where we saw two guys go in the first round I believe it was with Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson but he could go in that Irv Smith Jr. range I think that's definitely a fair range for him yeah and like I said it would not surprise me at all if he's a top tight end drafted I mean just look at his like I said untapped potential and what he showed in Mobile as a route runner and blocker I just See, obviously, I think the biggest concern with him at this point is nothing he does on the field. I think it's more so the you know the speed of the game when it's coming from Dayton to the NFL. But he answered a lot of those concerns in Mobile. I'm willing to go all in on Troutman as the top ten in this class. I, I just see him as the most complete player of this group, and I think his potential is better than any tight end I've seen so far. I'm with you. I like him a lot, and I was not expecting him to be as fluid as he was just because he was a fluid mover on film. But the way he was moving around at the Senior Bowl, man, it was just really incredible. Right. So I think that's most impressive. That was part a huge about surprise. It. Oh yeah, no, because I thought I think we both saw him more as like a jump ball artist and yeah. like a linear kind of athlete. Yeah. Where okay, if you if you need him to go get a you know a jump ball in the red zone, he can do it for you. If you need him to make plays after the catch, he can do it for you. Go down the seam, he can do it for you. But we we didn't think he would be able to turn laterally and create separation horizontally the way he did. And I think that was to me the biggest revelation about his game in Mobile, something that we really didn't see at Dayton. He really wasn't asked to do that at Dayton. He was more like four verticals and go up and get a jump ball at Dayton. Yeah. So to me, I, I'm a big fan of Adam Troutman. The way he was able to run routes with the intricacy and nuance he did, man, that was one hell of a revelation for his draft stock. I'm, I'm all in on him. Same here. Really excited to see where he does end up going just because I think he's probably going to run high four sixes at the combine, which is completely fine for what he shows on film. I think that matches up with the tape as well. So really interested to see where he does go in this draft. But the guy I want to get to is my second guy. And, you know, I talked about him all week. You should probably already know who I'm going to talk about here. And that's (laughs) Deloitte Cushenberry, the third. 
I fell in love with this dude in Mobile, and I probably interviewed him about three times. I think he started remembering me by my name. He like, man, you want to talk to me again? And I was like, yeah, man, you're a really interesting guy. And you know, just asking him about the number eighteen and him being able to wear that in the game, I thought that was really cool on Jim Nagy's part, just because he obviously wasn't able to wear it in games at LSU. And just talking about the number eighteen at LSU really signifies the leadership role. And he was the first person ever, as far as an offensive lineman, that was awarded the number. Him and Clavon Chase on with the guys that were that were awarded that number this year, and it just signifies team, team captains and also the leaders of the team as well. And just having that at center, I think the thing that made me fall in love with him the most is just the type of quiet presence that he has, but it's a confidence about him as well. And the one thing that I'll never forget that he said is that Joe got all the love, but as Joe Burrow, I'm talking about Joe got all the love. He said, but. He was the guy really at the nucleus setting all these protections to make sure that Joe was able to get all these balls off to these big-time receivers on the outside. So him setting protections, telling everybody where to go, and just really engineering the entire operation, that's something that I love to see in a center. So Lloyd Cushenberry III, just your overall thoughts on him and what you thought of him throughout the week. Yeah, and I think one of the, most, I think one of the biggest things about what he did this week was not even on the field. You look at what he did in the weigh-ins, what he measured in at, What's one of the most underrated things with offensive linemen? And I know offensive tackles, it gets viewed as, you know, a big thing. But interior offensive linemen, it kind of goes underrated. Arm length. I mean, it's like, guys, you know, you can't let defenders get into your yeah. chest. Defensive tackles, you know, quickly. Defensive tackles can quickly beat you if they get into your chest. So you need length at all positions of the offensive line, not just offensive tackle. And offensive tackle gets a lot of publicity. But there's centers and guards and the long arms as well. Lloyd Cushenberry had by far the longest arms of any center in this class, 34 and three eighths. This is a guy that has long arms and he plays like it. You didn't see anyone get into his chest and mobile. And who was the one guy that stopped Javon Kinlaw on the one-on-ones? Lloyd Cushenberry, baby. This is a guy that, you know, is as solid as they come in pass protection to mirror with the best of them. And the biggest thing that I think we both saw was his power. We didn't really see a lot of that at LSU and his ability to, kind of handle bull rushers, but it makes sense with those 34-inch arms that he can really lock onto anybody. He, he won't let anyone get into his chest with those long arms. So Cushenberry, to me, was the biggest winner on the interior offensive line, and I think he really cemented his status as a top center in this draft. Definitely, and this center class got good in a hurry, and we talk about guys like we haven't even talked about a whole bunch like Cesar Ruiz and Matt Hennessy and some of the other guys that we saw down oh, in Montreal yeah, I mean, him as well, a guy I definitely need to go back and do some more work on. He's definitely atop the list, and he's the one guy I'm going to start with this week coming up. So really excited to dive into this film. But I want to get into your last guy and the one that stood out the most to you. So your third and final guy, who was it? Man, it's so hard to narrow it down to three winners on my side, but I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't mention this guy this week, Bradley and I from Utah. And I know he didn't come at, he only came in with 32-inch arms. He's not going to be the guy that's going to impress you physically. But there may not be a guy in this draft class other than maybe Chase Young who understands the art of the pass rush better than Bradley and I. You look at his hand usage, his ability to win with counter moves off the edge, unpredictability as a rusher, this guy has it. Nobody in this tackle class in Mobile was able to handle his unpredictability off the edge He's able to use his hands in a variety of ways, whether a cross chop, a two-hand swipe. I love his, you know, a wide array of moves off the edge. And that came to, you know, a full head in a, in a senior bowl game. I know both of us were at the airport, 
But I went back and watched this game on that Sunday, and oh my goodness gracious. Three sacks, double-digit pressures. It seemed like there was not a pass play that went by where he was in the game where he wasn't in the pocket disrupting it. And they had no answer for a nine in this game. And to me, I think he came out of the game as the biggest winner of that performance. And then you look at what he did in practice, he did the same sort of thing. He just wasn't live action. So when he was in a live action setting, he just absolutely dominated anyone he went up against. And in the practice setting, he did the same exact thing. So Bradley and I wasn't one of the biggest winners physically in terms of the weigh-ins, but in terms of on-field performance, there may not have been a better player in the on-field performance aspect of the senior bowl on the defensive side of the ball than Bradley and I. His hand maturity is so good, man. And we talk about the USC game where he went against Austin Jackson and just really obliterated him the entire game. And that game just really shows you how well diverse his moves are, how mature he is as a pass rusher. And even though he doesn't have really good being, I think the way he uses hands, I think it makes up for it. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he does go just because he isn't a guy that isn't going to measure overly well. He's not going to be super athletic. And, I mean, there's a role for those guys in the league, but teams that really value the hand maturity and the way he, he just has the natural art of being able to rush the passer already down. And that's something where he definitely can find a role. I think maybe the third round, I think that's a fair range for him. You think third round yeah. is a fair range for him? I have a round two grade on him. Okay. I, 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 I know that he doesn't have the prototypical arm length. I know he is not going to run, you know, a four six four seven at the combine. But I just don't – with his hand – like I said, his hand maturity, his timing, his placement, just his overall unpredictability as a pass rusher, that's going to translate. And we, you don't see guys coming out of college with this much nuance off the edge. Some teams going to find a spot for him, ideally in a 3-4 scheme as an outside linebacker with his lack of you know length and size. But he's just a terror off the edge. I, I just see him – with the production he had in college and what he showed in Mobile against his top tackles, he's going to succeed at the next level. Definitely. Really excited about him, man. And I just want to see where he does go just because I think his fit can be very crucial. He's one guy I think could have an impact very early on in his career. But just getting to my last guy, and we've harped on him a little bit already, and that's Jeremy Chin, the safety from Southern Illinois. And it seemed like he had a quietly good week. And a lot of people didn't really talk about him a whole bunch. But once we were able to stand beside him on the sideline, you really got to see oh how big goodness. he was. So I'm going to let you tell the story that Jim Nagy told us, though. I want oh you to tell. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> so we stood – the north side – it was the north practice. It was the first day. It was right after the south practice ended. And we just got done with the interviews for the south team. And then all of a sudden the north guys come on the field for their warm-ups. And there's one guy who just pops up on this, in this DB group who just looks like the – you guys seen the Derrick uh, Henry, Mark Ingram meme of whether the coin toss Alabama where Derrick Henry just looks five times bigger than Mark Ingram? Yeah, that, that's what Jeremy Chin looked like to guys like Kayvon Wallace and Jalen Elliott and these guys. I mean, Jeremy Chin was just like a, like a man amongst boys, 6'3", 218 pounds, and he's every bit of it, man. Sculpted like a Greek god at the weigh-ins, uh, just – Man, that size is so physically imposing. So we're sitting next to Jim Nagy on the side on the sideline, and we're asking about Jeremy. And he goes, "That's the guy you need to watch out for. Potential sub package linebacker. And there's only one other guy I've seen with that kind of build who moves that well, Cam Chancellor. And if you don't remember Jim Nagy and his background, he worked with the Seattle Seahawks as a scout for them for multiple years. For so for him to say that about Cam Chancellor and Jeremy Chin like that, that just speaks volumes." 
And he was not wrong this week, man. He looked every bit of that this week in practice, where it was moving in man coverage, playing deep zone. I'm pretty sure for the first couple of practices, he played outside corner as well. So yeah, this is a which guy is crazy. Who a lot of versatility in man coverage. And with what he can do movement-wise at his, at his size is freakish. And to me, with, with I know it's a little bold for the camp chancellor comparison, but for Jim Nagy to say that, for a guy who's a veteran scout who's been with the Seahawks organization, don't take that lightly. That means a lot of – that holds a lot of water in the scouting community. Definitely. And of any prospect that I was surprised the most to actually see up close their size and just how big they were – Chan definitely was the one that caught me by surprise just because he looks big on film, but just seeing him up close like that is just a bit different. And that's why I say the Senior Bowl is just – it's an awesome experience just because you can watch all these clips of guys on the All-22 in the coaches' film, but there just isn't any experience like an up-close-and-personal view of these guys. You can see how they move around. We saw how really good his ball skills were, how fluid he was in coverage. And like you mentioned, he even played some outside corner just like he did his first two years when he was at Southern Illinois. So that type of versatility, I think he's probably going to end up being a late-day two, early-day three selection. I think that's a fair range for him as far as where he's going to go. But he made himself a lot of money in Mobile. And even though he wasn't one of the most talked about players, he really caught my eye a whole bunch down there. But I want to get into our last segment, and that's disappointments from the week. So this segment, we're not trying to bash anybody. We're just highlighting some guys that we thought really did underwhelm us a little bit. So I'll actually go first with this one. And my guy is Nick Harris, the center for yeah, Washington. right. He just looks so overwhelmed from the one-on-one sessions to the scrimmage sessions live 11 on 11. He just could not get out of his own way. Just didn't have a lot of strength. He looked every bit of 6'1", 300-plus uh, pounds. He just looked very light. And guys were just manhandling him, and he just could not get out of his own way. I keep saying that just because he struggled in every single session. There just really wasn't any standout plays from him that I've seen. And he looked small on film, but in person, he looked very, very miniature as well. And you could tell that some of these guys are taking advantage of his lack of length and lack of power. And if you're going to be a smaller center, you have to be able to pass protect at least. And he just wasn't able to do that throughout the week. Yeah, and he was the only center to measure in at under 300 pounds. I mean, he looked like it too. He was 6'1", 293, 32-inch arms barely. And it shows. I mean, like, I know a lot of people try to mask his size on tape saying, oh, he, you know, he moves well. He's just a good football player. Those things may be true. But when he goes up against guys at the top level of competition in college football, you know, when he goes up against like Javon Kinlaw, Neville Gallimore, it showed, man. He got bull rushed, overwhelmed with power. And you can see that you can go back to the Washington tape and see that he does struggle with power. And it's because that size, you know, it, it, I know size can be a little overrated on the interoffensive line. It's more about your leverage and your body position. But when you're 6'1", 293, you're, you're going to have to win in other ways. And to me, Nick Harris did not do it enough. And I didn't see that quickness, that same kind of foot uh, mobility we saw on tape from him. So just an overall down week for him. I thought pass direction was his biggest uh, strength to me, one of his biggest strengths on tape. And to me, he just looks absolutely – he just looks so vulnerable with that lack of length and lack of size in the, along the interior offensive line. Uh, just a very disappointing week for him. And there's something I'll definitely have to go back on the tape because you see a guy 6'1", 293. He's probably not going to pass many thresholds on many boards just from that size perspective alone. So you look at the size. Some teams won't have them on their boards because of that alone. Then you look at certain schemes. He's probably a zone-only player – at his size and his mobility, he won't be able to play gap power because of his inability to really drive in the run game. 
And then you look at his position flexibility. What do you want from the interior offensive line more than anything? You want players who can play multiple spots. Cushenberry can play guard. Keith Ishmael has played guard at San Diego State. He actually played guard more than he did center. And so, like, Matt Hennessy as well. So, Nick Harris, 6'1", 293, you're really limiting yourself to center only. And when you're a center only in a zone-only scheme at 6'1", 293, how many teams are really going to value that? So, I, I see Nick Harris in the top 60, top 70 of some boards. To me, I think he's a mid to late day three player. Uh, I just don't see how he's going to be valued more than that, especially with all the limitations I just listed. Definitely, man. And, you know, I was really underwhelmed with him, and I liked him going into the event. But just the size and then the overpowering that was being performed against him, that makes me really, really nervous about him. So we'll see what does happen. I need to go back and watch this film one more time just to see if that overpowering is something that I overlooked, maybe a bit too much just because of his flash plays, just because he has a lot of flash plays when he does climb to the second level. I know against, uh, I believe it was Cal, where he had some really good plays as far as him climbing to the second level. So getting to your guy, who was the one that was a disappointment to you? Man, yeah, I mean, the one guy that we talked about as a disappointment other than Nick Harris was unfortunately my my top tight end coming in this year, Jared Pinckney out of Vanderbilt. And, you know, I've made a lot of excuses for Pinckney in the past. You know, with Riley Neal coming in from Ball State, a big dip in production from junior to senior year. And I was willing to stand the table for him saying, hey, you know, this guy has a lot of traits and a lot of talent just in the wrong offense. You put him in the right offense, he can put up a lot of production with his athletic upside and his ability to go up and get the football. I didn't see any of that in Mobile, whether it was route running, creating separation vertically, laterally, going up to get a jump ball. He just looked out of place. And to me right now, he's really just not the sum of his parts. And whether it was Kyle Duggar really owning him in man coverage, Jeremy Chen doing the same thing. It's just one of those things where with Pinkney, you're too talented to lose that many reps in man coverage in one-on-one situations. And I, it, guys like Harrison Bryant looked good. Josiah DeGuar looked good. Adam Troutman played well. Pinkney was one of the few tight ends who just really didn't do anything separation-wise against the safeties and linebackers. And to me, that was the most disappointing. Because when you look on tape, that's the most promising aspect of what Pinkney provides, was going over the middle down the seam, creating separation as a route runner, going up and getting the ball at the catch point, creating separation vertically with his leaping ability. And just all those athletic traits, I just didn't see enough of it in Mobile for me to get excited about him as a top tight end prospect. So now there's, only, there's more questions than answers to me with Pinkney, and I think teams are going to be really hesitant on pulling the trigger on him any time before, I guess, the first 75 picks or so. It's going to be really, especially with like Troutman climbing up the board, Cole Komet from Nora Dame declaring, Hunter Bryant with his speed and quickness. I just don't see how Pinkney really positions himself above those guys in this class, and that's really unfortunate. I'm with you. And what do we always talk about at events like this? Body language, mannerisms. These yep. are some of the things that you look for when you're getting these live looks at guys and I kept telling you throughout the week, Pinkney's body language just wasn't something that was yep. appealing to me just because whenever he did drop a pass, he didn't run and get the ball and then, you know, throw the ball back to whoever was hiking the ball, things of that nature. And that's something that you want to see from these guys. And you pointed out to me the first person on the field was Darnay Holmes. And then after practice, 
Donnie Holmes will stand back with some of these guys just talking about what they look for and some of the keys that they look for as far as the signs and indicators from defensive backs just because they're trying to get better as a player. So you notice all these mannerisms and just some of the, the body language that these guys have throughout practice, and I just didn't like that. I didn't like the vibe that I was getting from Pinckney. He just... I don't want to say he was acting like he didn't want to be there, but that's just like the vibe that I got from him. It just wasn't great. So wasn't an overly great week for him. But before we wrap this thing up, did you have anything else to add? Yeah, and, and I just want people to know this. Like, Jordan and I were sitting in the press box next to each other almost each practice, and we saw Pinkney go through those drills, and Jordan kept tapping me on the shoulder saying, look at his body language. Look at – he just put his head down. And, you know, in football, in a lot of these one-on-one reps, you have to have amnesia. You have to just go to the next rep. And, and what's, and we've talked about this before. If you go 100% and you show that you're coachable in these reps, and I'm not saying Pinkney's not. I'm just saying that, you know, the optics of the situation where you're not, you know, showing the right body language, you're not acting like the guy who wants to be out there all the time, that can be a big negative. And, and that's just adding to the fact that he just, to me, looks like the most underwhelming tight end throughout the week with the Adam Troutmans, the Josiah DeGuars, and the Harrison Bryant's all there. So it's important to see Pinkney, you know, underperform like that, given his, you know, I think, elite trait profile. So I think he sells a lot of upside you can tap into. But right now, he just looks like a long time away from receiving really legitimate NFL snaps. Definitely agree with you there. It's just really unfortunate just because I did like Pinkney coming to the event. I'm not going to let the senior bowl deter me from right. you know, an entire evaluation, but I just didn't like some of the body language I, things that I, I saw from him. I think the him. bottom line with Pinkney is that I think he's further away from my projection, from my initial projection. Yeah. I think the senior bowl kind of clarified that. That's definitely fair to say. But thank you guys for listening. Of course, we are the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back tomorrow with plenty other topics to discuss. But for now, make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thank you as always.